I'm going to give you a little test. It's a very short general knowledge test. It only has one question. Can anyone tell me whose flag that is? Just shout it out if you know it. Fiji over there? No, sorry. Syria, no. Sorry. No. Wow, top marks. Liechtenstein, yes. Well, that's why we uh, brought you here. Population 36,500. It's bordered by Switzerland and Austria. Its football team once drew two all with Portugal. That's probably why Steve knows about it. And arguably, this is its most interesting fact Liechtenstein is Europe's only absolute monarchy. Prince Hans Adam has the power to hire and fire the government as he pleases. But really, who cares? What does that little kingdom have to do with us? Unless they get drawn in England's group for the World Cup or the Euros. Unless something like that happens, why would you or I Give Liechtenstein a second thought. I ask that question because that's the attitude many people have to the kingdom of God. It might be significant for some people, but not for me. I work, I play, I plan, I fill up my time, and the kingdom of God has no more significance for me than the kingdom of Liechtenstein. It doesn't impact me one little bit. And it has to be said, when we as Christians encounter that kind of attitude, it can really get us down. It can even make us begin to question what we are about. Maybe I am giving my life to an insignificant cause. Maybe those people are right when they ignore God's kingdom and focus on building up their own little kingdom. Well, the passage we're going to look at this evening is going to remind us that we are not facing a new problem. We're facing what Jesus himself faced. But Jesus had a message for those who thought that his kingdom was unimportant. Jesus said, my kingdom is the kingdom no one can ignore. We're going to continue now in the good news according to Mark. We're picking up tonight at Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And we're going to read through to verse 34. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 1006. And in the large print, 1561. Mark 4, 21. And the context here is that Jesus has just told and then explained the parable of the sower, or the soils. Steve led us through that last week. 
And the point in that parable was that we are to expect mixed responses to the good news about Jesus. From no response to shallow response to temporary response to genuine fruitful response where people hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. And now we read this in verse 21. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts. And grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. When Jesus explained the previous parable, the parable of the soils, he was talking to not the large crowds, but a more select, smaller group. A group made up of those who had enough interest to find out more about his teaching and what his teaching actually meant. And so as we read this passage, it's important to ask whether that is still the audience here in this passage. And certainly it may seem that verse 21 is just following straight on from verse 20. But I think it's likely Jesus is now back speaking to the crowds again. In other words, his audience is once again a mixed group of people. It contains people of very varying degrees of interest. I say that because Jesus again uses this expression, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. That seems to be his way of challenging a mixed crowd. As if to say, I know some of you haven't really come to listen to me. You want miracles from me. But those of you who want to know the truth, listen up. And then Jesus goes on to make the point that his kingdom 
is the kingdom no one can ignore. First of all, we're told that eventually Jesus and his kingdom will be unavoidable. Look again at verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Very simply, lamps are for giving light. And so we put them where they can be seen. And Jesus is saying, I have not come to do things no one ever knows about. My kingdom My rule might seem hidden at the moment. It might seem like you can safely ignore me at the moment. But it is not going to stay that way. A time will come, Jesus is saying, when you cannot ignore or avoid my kingdom. Just like a lamp that's brought out of the cupboard, then lit, and then set on a table in a dark room, when that happens, everything centers on the lamp. Every eye on the, in the room is on the lamp. Jesus says, that's how it's going to be with me and my kingdom. And so we have to ask, well, when is this going to happen? When is Jesus' kingdom going to be unavoidable? I think the answer has to be at Jesus' return. In other places, Jesus speaks of a day when he will return on the clouds and every eye will see him. He says his return will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. The point is, it may seem safe today to ignore Jesus and his kingdom, but one day it will be impossible to ignore And when that day comes, it will be too late to do anything about it. And so Jesus says, now is the time to consider and respond to me. In verse 24, he says, consider carefully what you hear. Steve pointed out last week that the crowds heard Jesus' parables. They all heard them. But many of those people went home thinking they'd just heard some interesting stories. But here Jesus is saying to them, go further. Press into what I'm telling you. Consider it carefully. It's not just hearing that's important. It's what you do with what you hear. Every year at our Christmas carol service, we have loads of visitors here in church. And they all hear a message about Jesus. And often, as those visitors are leaving, they'll say they enjoyed it. Not just the singing, but the message as well. In fact, one year, the message was focused mainly on hell at the carol service. And non-church people still said they enjoyed it. That is not very encouraging for the preacher. That proves they have not carefully considered the message that they heard. 
I have to say, honestly, I would rather a visitor give me a punch in the face than tell me a message like that was nice. But even when hell isn't the main stress of the message, when a non-Christian really pays attention to the gospel, they will be unsettled by it. Maybe even angry. But ideally, they will come asking to find out more with a genuine desire to understand and respond. And that's what Jesus is calling for here. And he goes on, having encouraged the crowd to consider his message carefully, he says in verse 24, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. In other words, when it comes to grasping my message, what you get out of it depends on what you put in. If you're open to the truth and if you pursue the truth, you will be rewarded with understanding of the truth. And in fact, he says, the reward will go way beyond the effort that you've put in. As you seek understanding, God's grace will give you much more than the measure of your effort. And then in verse 25, Jesus presses the urgency of this. He says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What does Jesus mean? I think he's saying, if you hear my message, and even if your understanding is sketchy and dim, if you respond to what you hear, if you make a move towards me, your understanding will grow. Your appreciation of the truth will grow. But if you don't respond, if you don't press in seeking understanding, you may find yourself further and further away from the truth. You may find that even that faint urge to understand will wither and die in you. These crowds had a degree of interest in Jesus. But many of them were keeping him at arm's length. And that is a foolish game to play. Don't assume you can put off looking into Jesus and that you can put off considering him carefully. Even that little spark of interest that you have may be taken away from you. Now is the time to consider and respond to Jesus. During his ministry, one of the things that counted against Jesus was the fact that he just didn't seem to have the credentials to be king of the universe. He was a carpenter, and he came from a backwater town. And the people who seemed to be impressed with Jesus tended to be fishermen, crooks, and prostitutes. People looked at him and his followers, and it just didn't seem to be grand enough. And people today often take that same view. 
Richard Dawkins has described Jesus and his work as so trivial, so local, so earthbound, and so unworthy of the universe. That's how it looks to many people. But here in our passage, Jesus goes on to say, don't be fooled by appearances. First of all, Jesus says, God is making his kingdom grow. Verse 26. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The key point here is that apart from sowing the seed, the man contributes nothing at all to the growth of the seed. While he's sleeping or brushing his teeth or doing whatever else he does, the seed grows all by itself. All by itself, the insignificant-looking seed eventually produces full ears of corn. And in the end, there's a harvest to be reaped. We know from the parable at the beginning of chapter 4 that the seed here is the Word of God, the message about Jesus, the message that He's God's Son, sent as our Savior. And that our responsibility is to repent of our sin and believe the good news. That's the seed, the message. And the man here represents anyone who sows the seed, male or female. And just as seed is not terribly impressive in itself, so you and I may feel that our message isn't terribly impressive. Certainly Richard Dawkins doesn't think that it is. And as we hear his scorn for our message and the scorn of people like him, we can let people like that cow us into silence. We can begin to believe we really don't have anything that's substantial or even relevant. How can this message bring life to people? But Jesus encourages us through this little parable, don't be fooled by appearances. Sow what I have given you to sow. Share the word. The word of forgiveness and life in Jesus. And I will make it grow. I will produce a harvest from it. And you won't even know how I manage it. But I will. One day the harvest will be there for everyone to see. William Carey was a cobbler from Northamptonshire. Many of you will have heard of him. You'll know his story. He went as a missionary to India in the late 1700s. And at that time, he was a pioneer, taking the good news to a place where few, if any, had ever taken it before. And it was seven years 
before William Carey baptized his first convert. Seven years of sowing the seed and trusting God to bring a harvest. William Carey went on eventually to form a missionary society. And when he died, after working there with his colleagues for 41 years in India, there were 700 converts in a nation of millions. Now that is growth, but it's not terribly impressive growth. And yet today, Operation World lists over 26 million evangelical Christians in India. No doubt in those years of service, there were many times when Carrie wondered if anything at all was going on. But God was working with the seed Carrie was sowing. And God is still working, producing a harvest in India. So don't be fooled by appearances. God is making his kingdom grow. Even here in England, by ones and twos, God is producing a harvest. So keep on sowing. And Jesus says, if you're wondering just how significant this growing kingdom is going to be, in the end, there will be nothing more significant. Look at verse 30. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Apparently, a mustard seed is so small that you can hardly see it in your hand. But we're told that it can grow as tall as three meters or more. Jesus' point here is that when it comes to his kingdom, an insignificant beginning leads to an immense future. And certainly at this point, Jesus and his little group of disciples do look like an insignificant beginning. But Jesus is promising an immense future for his kingdom. And actually, Jesus is not just saying it will grow big. He's saying it will grow beyond all expectations. Notice at the end of verse 32, he's actually moved beyond a mustard plant at that stage. The end of verse 32, Jesus is describing a tree. A tree with branches that birds can rest on. That is beyond all reasonable expectations. Plant a tiny mustard seed and get not just a tall mustard plant, but a colossal solid tree. And there is an Old Testament background to this picture Jesus is using. Both Ezekiel and Daniel 
compare the empires of Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar to large, strong trees. Trees where animals come to find their shelter and their food. Those were great human kingdoms, Egypt and Babylon. But here Jesus is saying, my kingdom, from its small beginnings, is going to take the place of all human kingdoms. It will be the ultimate place of security and rest. There will be nothing more significant than my kingdom. As you and I serve God today, we have to keep this picture in our minds. This little parable is teaching us about future reality. The reason we have to keep this in our minds is because today the kingdom of God is not making the news. You'll have noticed that. When a young mother goes along to Christianity Explored at a local church and finds new life in Jesus, it does not get reported by the BBC. When some teenagers get baptized, and when an elderly man comes to trust that his sins are forgiven because Jesus died in his place, that does not make the Observer, or the Daily Express, or even the Walsall Advertiser. But those are the bits of news that will matter in eternity. Ten million years from now, who's going to remember the name Vladimir Putin? Who's going to remember last week's budget speech? Who's going to remember who won the Six Nations last week? Those things all made the big headlines. But the real action is in God's kingdom. The real news is that through the blood of Jesus, men, women, and children from every tribe and language and people and nation are finding life and security and eternal rest in the kingdom of God. So when you go back home tonight and turn on the TV, or when you open the newspaper tomorrow morning, or as you listen to the radio on your way into work, do not be fooled by appearances. You will not find the really big news from those sources. The really big news is that steadily, in his own mysterious way, God is making his kingdom grow. And in the end, there will be nothing more significant. We know that there will always be a mixed response to the message of the kingdom. Jesus made that very clear with the parable of the soils. And Mark underlines it again for us at the end of our passage. Some people will respond and they will want to know more. And some people just won't be able to care less. We know it's going to be like that. 
But we can be sure God will use the seed we sow. As you and I sow, according to our ability and according to our opportunity, God will make his kingdom grow. He will bring a great harvest. And one day, every eye will see and every tongue will acknowledge that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. We're going to begin to praise him now as we join in singing, Let Your Kingdom Come. And then a prayer for God to use us to spread the light of his kingdom. Lord, the light of your love is shining.